Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is Daniel Umstead, host of the RNG Radio Show. I'm honored. I'm pleased. I am ecstatic because I have the Fred Haywood on the RNG Radio Show, who also has released his book, Racing with Aloha. So if you are in Hawaii, in the area, and you haven't heard of Fred Haywood, get off your surfing board, get away from that crab underneath the rock, what have you, and pay attention to what this man has to say, because I have a true legend on the show. So ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce Mr. Fred Haywood to the RNG Radio Show. Fred, how are you doing today? Aloha and thank you. This is our shaka. We we signal aloha with our shakas. Hang we ten. appreciate Hang ten, you, man. Daniel. <laughs> we appreciate you. It's an it's an amazing day. Um, surprisingly, our book launch is today. Racing with Aloha, and it's on Amazon, but you can also find it on our website, racingwithaloha.com. And on that website, there is at the top of it press and archives where we've done. Of other interviews with uh, top sailors, swimmers, and windsurfers. So um, there's even an interview with Nate Martinez and uh, Dano Sales, who are top brokers. And I've been selling real estate for 48 years here on Maui, as well as have, having a simultaneous sports career. So I'm, I'm stoked to uh, share the aloha and the fact that today is Duke Kahanamoku's birthday. He was the father of surfing in Hawaii. Well-respected gentleman and a, an Olympic gold medalist. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So just great things all around on August 24th. I'm loving it, man, I'm loving it. So I wanna actually just start from the beginning because you know, people look back 48 years ago and just started with real estate. Let's talk about the why. Why did you get into real estate and also why surfing? Why I got into real estate? Um, my friends um, were telling me these travel stories of going to Indonesia and surfing uncrowded, beautiful surf. And although I had very good surf on Maui, uh, that was so intriguing because they said it was so much better. Um, I was working construction at the time and one day I leaned over the wall, I saw a realtor coming out of the unit below me and I said, how much was that one worth? Uh, of course, I had cement all over me and I was tired and mad and he says, this one, I made $1,800. And I said, I started thinking about dividing $5.15 into $1,800. And he did it in 10 minutes. And how long was it gonna take me? I never did the math. I just got off the wall, went down to the local real estate office, crap all over me and said, how do I get into this business? I gotta get to Indonesia. And, uh, I started in a class the very next day. It was the second day of the class. And I walked in and said, here, I'm, I'm ready to join. I'll make up the class. Let's go. And they that's let me in. So that's how I started my real estate was uh, to, to, to travel. I wanted to travel. I was, I was just finished college. I finished Stanford and I came back and, you know, I'd been a swimming star back in my earlier days but now I wanted to go surf. And um, my first commission, six months later, I bought a ticket to go to Bali in Indonesia. So my dad goes, well, you're just uh, getting on a roll. Why would you be leaving? I said, no dad, I, 
I just accomplished my goal. I made enough money to buy a ticket. I'm out of here. Two, I came back two months later and had the best time of my life. So then I continued real estate and just kept tra traveling. And anyway, of course, real estate went up and down. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've seen the highs, the lows, the mediums, the craziness, all of it. Yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I had amassed about four or five properties. Uh, uh, and by 1980, um, President Carter announced that interest rates were going from 9 to 19% overnight. I was doing open houses and getting laughed at at people by people who were walking in saying, why would I buy any real estate? We're all going in the stock market, you know? Right. <laughs> and I just went, oh my God, it's over. I was freaking out. I had an 8,000 monthly in 1980. That was a pretty huge monthly. Rentals dropped off. Um, so within about 10 days, I put all my properties up for sale at 6% commission to the outside broker and sold them all in two weeks. And it had, it took three years before people got back to my pricing, but I couldn't have afforded the monthly. So you've got to move for real estate, you know, when it changes. Right now, it's such a terrific market. I would love to retire, but I find myself real tired just doing the business because <laughs> you know we opened five escrows last week and closed one and it's just my girlfriend and i doing the business so we uh we're happy to be still thriving that's awesome now because a lot of people and especially with covid going on i'm pretty sure you probably sneezed at that like ha, this is nothing what kept you going you know throughout all those years where it was like you were at your lowest point you know the crazy interest rates you know during the carter era like what led you to you know just want to stay with real estate and not want to go back to like a, go to like a nine-to-five job or a corporate job yeah well you know what is interesting is just after that happened, um, two weeks later, my brother crashed in an auto accident in 1980. And I said, you know, I want to take a little bit of a break because I'd been selling real estate from 73 to 80. So I said, I went to a party, I was with my friends and I had just been introduced to windsurfing um, some f through, through the inventor's son and his friends. And they had moved to Maui and uh, it was quite an exciting time and surfing related so much to windsurfing because we just stuck a sail on the boards. Um, so after my brother died, I said, gosh, what would my brother want me to do? He wouldn't want me to grieve over his passing. He would want me to make my life better. And I said, I'll open a windsurfing shop, Sailboards Maui, 1980, 81. We opened up and we started going to the beach every day. So, um, I, um, three years later, I set a world speed record on a windsurfer in Weymouth, England, and that pulled me right up to the echelons uh, of the sport, got sponsored. Four months later in 1984, I rode what was called the biggest wave in the world at the time. Um, it was probably a six, 50 to 60 foot face at Hokipa Beach Park, and it got a centerfold of Life magazine. So here I had set a world record, then rode a big wave, um, all within a, in the same year. And uh, I got my sponsors. And for the next 
few years, five years, I traveled around the world sailing, which was why I wanted to get into real estate so I could do sports and enjoy the world. So I've done a lot of traveling and I wanted to write this book actually before this time I'm talking about. In, in uh, 1966, I took a trip across the U.S. on a Greyhound bus for $99. You could go the same direction for 30 days. So I went on a swimming trip with the swim club from Hawaii and the coach was Suichi Sakamoto. And some of you may have heard of the three-year swim club where they trained, uh, Suichi Sakamoto trained kids that were in the plantation at camps working in the sugar fields taught the kids how to swim in the irrigation ditches. So they swam up current in the irrigation ditches and eventually um, had some of them um, win Olympic medals, gold medals. So quite a story. He was in charge of us kids going to the mainland. And the first meet we went to when I was six, 15 years old, 16 years old in 1966, I got tapped on the shoulder and I turned around and said, hi, I'm." Who are you? And, and he says, my name is Mark Spitz. Who are you? And I said, I'm Fred Haywood. And he says, are you from Hawaii? I said, yeah. And that was the beginning of Mark Spitz adventure because I saw him swim. Now, 1972, he won seven gold medals and seven world records in the Olympics, much like Michael Phelps did so much better. And now they're even going faster. But at the time he was in his infancy he hadn't set a world record yet, but I knew it was coming. So I came back to Hawaii. I was training on the big island, Hawaii, in a swimming pool that was a raft. It was two rafts connected with telephone poles between them. And we had six lanes. So we were training in the ocean in a anchored swimming pool in a harbor. So, <laughs> I left that pool because the coach, I told the coach about this kid, Mark Spitz, and he says, you know, if you go to swim with Mark Spitz, I'll guarantee you'll go to a, a better school than if you stay here and get straight A's your senior year. And I said, probably right. I'm, I, I would love to do that. Can you help me? So I used some curiosity. He wrote a letter and he wrote a, uh, to my parents and, uh, um, we got hooked up and that senior year, I came into Santa Clara High School and was swimming with Mark Spitz when my swimming um, successes blossomed. We were, we were in the pool doing 40 100 yard repeats with 10, sec uh, 10 seconds rest between each of them. And I swam 20 in a row against Mark and he beat me by two or three body lanes and I was kind of frustrated that I couldn't keep up with him. He was so fast. I turned over on my back and swam backstroke 10 against the guy in the other lane. And um, of course, the guy in the other lane was number one backstroker in the nation, Mitch Ivey. And I'm getting beat by two or three bylines again. And, and at the end of the 30th one, he says, Fred, you have the ugliest backstroke I've ever seen in my life. You're bobbing and weaving and hitting the lane lines. And I just went, oh, I went under underwater and shook my hand off. 
blew all my hair, hair out really hard, <sighs> came up with a new attitude and said, Mitz, you have the prettiest backstroke I've ever seen in my life. What do I have to do to look like you? And he says, he kind of was taken back because he was kind of aggressive the first round. And this is moments later, we step out on the pool deck because we had a five minute break and he wads up a towel and he, he says, now throw this towel, put it over your head and throw it at the pool deck. So I did and my stroke was a straight arm. I thought you had to lie straight on your back and swim with a straight arm. Mm -hmm. He says, no, rotate your shoulders. So you put your shoulder over your nose and put the elbow behind your back and throw your stroke next to your hip hit your hip with your wrist. I threw that towel down and it, instead of landing six feet away after that, I, it started to come in closer. Five minutes was up. I jumped back in the pool. The stroke fit, felt marvelous. I beat him on the first one. I beat him on the second one. By the third one, he says, you're just trying. I know you're trying hard. I said, no, it's easier. It's easier. Uh, thank you. And he was mad, he was mad. And then he's on the ninth one, he, he said, you mother something, let's race. So we did a push start. Mm -hmm. And I, on the 40th repeat that day, I swim the best time of my life and beat him again. So the coach is watching this. He puts us in a dual meet the following weekend. I beat him again. And I set the national high school record going three and a half seconds faster in a 50 second race. That's a lot of improvement. Yeah. In a week. Yeah. Or in a few days. The next weekend, Mark Spitz invites me over to his house because I'm invited to go to the nationals with Mark and a few other high schoolers. So we're going to go to Dallas, Texas, and I'm going, where's Dallas? What do we do? You know, I'm coming from Maui. Okay. I'm geography and nationals i didn't relate to any of this i didn't think we were i thought we were just going to high school meets in my high school year and all of a sudden we're going to nationals and i'm sitting at mr spitz's house mark's there talking about winning six events with his dad he could only enter three so they were strategizing should we go two short ones and one long one on two different days you know and so this conversation was a real highlight of my dreams you know if you go swim with mark spitz you're going to go to a better college and i felt i felt i was on the precipice of something happening you know because if i could swim well in in this event maybe i could go to a good school too so after an hour mr spitz looks at me and he says well fred what are you swimming and how are you going to do and I went, I was shocked that he was asking me because I was just reveling in how this conversation about Mark winning six events was so fantastic, you know, and I wasn't even mm -hmm. thinking myself. I said, well, Mr. Spitz, I'm swimming the 100 back and I don't know, maybe I got pumped up, you know, maybe if I go half a second faster, I could get a third place, okay? He says, I don't understand what you mean. What are you saying? Okay, well, um, you know, Mr. Spitz, and I explained it one more time, maybe I could get a third place. He says, I just don't get it, Fred. You're not making any sense to me. 
what do you mean? The third time. And I said, maybe. I actually improved my time a tenth of a second. Maybe I could get a third place again, was my answer. And he says, well, friend, there is only one person in the pool everyone's going to remember. And second through six are all losers, and don't you ever forget that! Wow. It was that violent against me, and I was going, whoa. But Daniel, I didn't have a mental capacity for this. Yeah. Thinking about it. I just got a stroke technology improvement, and now he drove it home that I was thinking too small. I guess because I was kind of in a daze for three days after that and on Wednesday the following Wednesday I dreamt that I won the hundred back at the nationals I had never competed in the nationals I had never had a swimming dream in the, about anything and here I'm winning the nationals on a Wednesday and I've got to be there Saturday for the event and so we fly down to Texas. I end up swimming a second and a half faster and winning the race uh, to be number one swimmer in America in backstroke when I was 17. So not only did I get to go to a good college, I probably had 20 plus full rides offered to me. That's but I've got a different dad in the story. <laughs> let me let me tell you about my dad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I won the nationals and Sports Illustrated is in, interviewing me and I'm talking story and they say, hey, you want to make a call to someone? You're from Hawaii, so sure, I'll call home and see what's up. Dad, hey dad, I just won the nationals in the 100 back. He goes, what's that, a high school meet? I go, no dad, it's everybody. Isn't it great? He says, well, what's great about it? Um, I said, I don't know, Dad. Everybody's slapping me on the back and telling me it's great. I'm just repeating what they're saying. Yeah. He says, well, Fred, it's over now, isn't it? I said, yes. He says, well, I just want you to know all that because I'm really proud of you. And that was a great job. Thank you for letting us know. I love you. He was a humility um, kind of a dad. We would joke at the table, we would laugh, we would tell silly jokes all night long with everybody at the table. Everybody would have a sore stomach from laughing more than eating. And that was my dinner table. Now I went to Mark Spitz's dinner table and I got a feeling for his dad, who winning is everything. If I, I remember coming home and telling Everybody, I won an NC2A championship at the dinner table. Of course, my brother goes, oh, the big swimmer now. Whoa, can I have your autograph? <laughs> you know, that was our table. It was a different table. So I had this yin-yang uh, situation between dads. But um, I learned a lot, Daniel, and in, even in real estate. If you want to get good in real estate, you better find out where the eagles are. 
And who are the eagles in your district? Who are the eagles in your country? Because if you go hang out in their nest, you won't have feathers to fly yet. But with their tapes, their dialogues, their information and strategies, you can put together some nice feathers on your wings and someday fly too. But you will only soar with eagles if you find their nest and go sit in there and take humility to the, a maximum and ask in curiosity what you need to do to get better. I have a philosophy to stay out of the attitude and name calling and judgments and to get into your questions and curiosity because there's nothing better than the, the, the people who have done well in, in real estate to give you that information. Just as I went and hung out with the best in the swimming world, I also hung out with the best in the windsurfing world and the wave riders. And my book has a uh, journey through all of these sports, but it has an, uh, it's thought provoking. It's made some of my friends cry because of their dads. I had one guy that's a friend of mine come out when he was younger to his family and his dad sicked his brother on him. So he was beat up by his brother his whole life and he's had this issue and he said, my book made him cry. And then he, um, after reading the first hundred pages, he called me back and said, okay, I got it. So it moved him and it moved a few of my friends to tears, but um, because I don't win all the time. You know, I was swimming and winning the Olympic. Um, I was I was in the finals of the Olympic trials for the 100 back the next year. And I the, the ceiling started spinning with only 20 meters left. I, was, I went into an atrial fib or flutter and didn't know it and could barely finish. My body was just coming to an end and I barely made the wall. I had to sit there for about 30 seconds before I could get out of the pool and so I didn't go to the Olympics, but it was a great effort. I just went to next, you know, when, when I'm working real estate with a team and someone's complaining about the deal that went sour and that guy had such a bad this and that, and they make excuses left and right. I give them the 24 hour rule. I said, I said, I'm going to give you 24 hours to bitch to moan because after 24 hours, it's time out. We're going to go to next. I, you know, one sour apple in your group can just make everybody depressed and not sell real estate. So it's really good to keep an upbeat attitude and keep uh, keep the dialogues good and, and work through issues because there's going to be defeats in every sport and every endeavor of, of life and every real estate contract has its own hurdles. Sure. Sure. Now, uh, with racing with Aloha, I know, I know that you talked about it and I uh, brought it up. And uh, for me, um, and my mom would love me bringing this up as well. I've been living there for four years. Of course, this was maybe like the late 90s, so just to give my age out there. Um, I want to know about the spirit of Aloha. You know, how do you incorporate that into a business um, i know aloha means hello i know aloha means goodbye but how do you take the spirit of that and incorporate it into a business in any business for that matter you know um aloha had a, a it was very physical for the hawaiian culture and when they said aloha 
they shared their breaths, ha, of aloha. And it was a sharing of community, of the sharing of the land. They used to cut triangles on their, not cut triangles, but they deciphered pulianas and apua'as where you could hunt and fish and gather from the shoreline to the mountain. And if it was kapu, kapu meant it was restricted. So they would make it kapu to collect at certain times of the year. So they, they manage their environment and their own personal health with their system of aloha uh, and, 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 and this land separation. They didn't know, the under, they didn't understand uh, ownership of land. They understood sharing what everything was. So uh, when, when they were finally introduced to buying and selling, it didn't make any sense. But the, when the U.S. took over the Hawaiian Islands, but their spirit remains the same. Um, they're a fascinating culture. Um, so when we share aloha in sport, it means helping our brothers, uh, help them with their progress, help your competition. Um, in my book, I, um, which was the, the, a famous waterman, Laird Hamilton, wrote the foreword for it. I shared my equipment with him so he could win a contest because our sponsor said if he got in the top two places, he would pay for all of his trip and put him on the team. And he was in about seventh or eighth and the, and the contest was virtually over. The wind had died. All of a sudden the wind jumped up and we had to go do some more runs. So I handed my, my equipment to Laird. He ran through the race and won the race. I did the same thing in Australia with another teammate, uh, Anders Bringdahl. Um, I was going to go use my equipment and write a bigger sale for another world record for because world records are in sail size and typically a windsurfer sails under 10 meter sails but we built a 10 meter sail to break the record for 10 meter and above in a 500 meter course so i handed anders my friend a board and said take my board you don't have the right equipment and go win the contest he turns around and wins the contest and i break the world speed record on another piece of equipment so it was just a sharing and camaraderie. Um, nowadays, it's gotten pretty intense with the surfing and a lot of them are towing into big waves, you know? So they have jet skis and they have air flotation devices and they have rescue equipment, walkie-talkies. I mean, they're, they're communicating with each other uh, and sharing aloha. And we used to do it when we were younger, just, hey, this wave is yours. We'll take the next one. But it, the surfing community is quite, quite uh, territorial, I must say. You know, um, you go out to some of the better surf spots around the islands and you'll see 20 to 40, 50 people in the lineup, all close proximity. And there's a pecking order. Usually the strongest and the best surfers are getting most of the waves or the loudest and most obnoxious and aggressive get a lot of waves too. But sharing the aloha is just cooling your jets, <sighs> trying to make it through this life of fear and mistrust going on now and turning that around. You know, there's COVID is just 
and perhaps partly due to some political reasoning, is just flip-flop aloha. And a lot of people have gotten more self-centered and about their political beliefs and whatever. And I say, well, in the end, nobody's going to be here. Why don't we just share this while we go? Like we have more tourism than ever in Hawaii. And I say, well, it's, it's coming on. It's coming on strong with everywhere around the world because people want to travel. So we've just got to learn to share it. And so somehow slowly regulate it so it doesn't get overwhelming. But um, hey, real estate's been really good. I know you have a realtor, realtor base here listening. So I, I'd like to step right back into some real estate with you. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, uh, for you doing it so long, and because uh, I got, I do got to wrap up here. Um, what tips can you give to? I want to say like the brand new ones, because I'm always coming across, you know, brand new realtors. I'm coming across the ones who either trying to get into wholesaling, they're trying to get into uh, fix and flips, or turnkeys, what have you. Um, it's 2021. You know, we're somewhat coming out of this. Uh, pandemic what have you but what advice would you give to somebody that who's just starting off what can they be doing and I think you touched on it a little bit but what else could they be doing to okay. help themselves thrive well you know this is probably something you know but there's a Ford principle family occupation recreation and dreams that's how you want to talk to people okay. in that order first talk about their family then talk about their occupation then question about what the recreation is. Then ask them about their dreams. Because if you can get them talking about their dreams, you can get them talking about the way they're feeling. And you need to sell people through their feelings. You can sell them with statistics, you can sell them with view, but you can hook into their feelings and Ford will get you on the friendship basis. And if they call you and say, hey, what is the price of that home? There are only two ways to answer your first real estate questions, and it's area and price. If you just focus on two things at your beginning of your career, and remember AP, area price. If they ask you price, you give them the information that house is for sale for 450. Is this the area you are looking to buy into today? Now, it's really important to say, is this the area that you are looking to buy into today in back of answering the question? Because then they'll say yes or no, right? Mm -hmm. You want to know whether you're going to get them in your car. You do not want to be a Pop-Tart realtor and say, the price is 450. Can I show you it in an hour? That's a Pop-Tart because you didn't qualify. Remember, start with area and price. If they ask for price, you give them price, and then you say, is that the area? Now you're looking with urgency too, that you are looking to buy into today. And they go, well, yeah, we're thinking about it, and that is the area we like. Well, if that's the area you like, is that the price range in which you are looking to buy into today. I'm repeating myself, aren't I? Mm -hmm. I'm asking for urgency again, because I want to know if they're urgent enough to put in my car. Do not forget price and area as your first areas of questioning. 
because you can do the Ford with them and talk story, but they ask about price. So you ask them if that's the area they're looking to buy into today. And then when they answer that, you say, well, is that the price range you're looking to buy into today? You've got a pretty good handle on them right now. If they say yes, yes. Then you say, are you pre-qualified? Do you, or do you have to sell to buy? You know, you want to check, check out their means, right? And then you say, well, tell me that's great. You pre-qualified good and you've already sold your house. So you've got plenty of dough. Um, are you locked into any agents out there? Right? You know, these buyer agreements. I've never signed a buyer agreement. <laughs> I don't think we own anybody. So that's my point. But uh, I can I can bedazzle people with my information. You really need to know your community you need to know the schools the hospitals the, the commutes the you need to know the neighborhoods and have a few war stories for them to share um, but you might ask them uh, along after if they're pre-qualified you might say uh, you know I I think if you really want to see that house give them a choice of times rather than say would you like to see the home say Hey, would uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning or three o'clock in the afternoon work better for you to see that home tomorrow or today? You give them a choice. You don't ask them if they want to see the house. It's much easier to commit to a time on a choice than it is to whether or not you're going to, you know, get into the car. And then you can ask them a bunch of other questions that are pertinent, but the most really good question to end up with is, well, Nathaniel, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you that would further help me understand your situation today? I didn't understand why a guy wanted to look at a million dollar house one day and he wasn't working. And I asked that question and he says, yeah, I, I won some lottery money and I have the cash, but I wouldn't have known it. You know, there's there's death, people die, you get inheritance, the, you know, there's divorce, you have to sell a house. There's there's empty nesters that are moving, you know, they have to sell and buy. There's 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 many reasons to be dealing in real estate. You've just gotta be a prospector of those situations and then know how to know how to see where the gold is by your questioning. I used to get in a room with other agents and wad up a piece of paper paper and say how much is that home to, uh, that's for sale and they couldn't pass back the paper unless they'd ask me a question he who asks the question is controlling the conversation the problem is the agents tend to tell their stories that they're so proud of and no one else interested in and you're not getting anywhere by gloating about yourself right it's their situation. Right. Ask them questions, own the conversation, and you will do much better. And if you get into trouble in real estate and someone's crying about the deal that you're in on with them, you go, I have a feel felt will feel response. Nathaniel, I really understand how you feel about that situation today. You know, I've had many other people that have felt the same way as you and have experienced the same frustration. In fact, I have a guy that did this and this and this and this and this. You know, I'm using compassion. 
feel felt. But, you know, I'm going to do this and this to correct it. And let me ask you, will that make you feel better? So you start ask, you start responding to the situation with, I understand how you feel, that's compassion. You, you put them in the mix with other people who have felt the same way, that makes them feel better. You know, you, I have had many other clients feel the same way, but when I did this and this and this, would you feel better? Uh, I can take any angry customer and dissuade them and get them to be a raving fan within a few minutes. I used to be handed the phone by my buyer agents. Help! You know, hello, Mr. Smith. What what do we have going on here? Oh, you know, we've got this, 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 this. Oh, I understand how you feel. You know, we've had similar experiences before. And if I can do this, this, yeah, you know what I mean? You just you just agree with them. You stay out of judgment. You stay in curiosity and you go to solutions. So well, uh, Fred, I want to thank you again so much for being on the show. Thank you for your wisdom, your advice, your stories. I want to know again where folks can, yes, thank, great minds stick alike. Where can folks get racing with Aloha as well as get in contact with you about some real estate? Yeah, this is my sale on this big wave. This is a big wave. This sale is 17 feet tall and it's coming down on top of me. This book is on racingwithaloha.com. You can go to racingwithaloha.com and if you go to the top of it, you can go to press and archives section and take a look at some of the other interviews in real estate with some real estate greats and also a lot of interviews with watermen that have really good philosophies. But you can order it there. There are prizes there. For people we're giving away some books and some maui gym sunglasses i'm not exactly sure i'm letting the team run that and you can also order it on amazon but why not put in a, an order on a place you might win something more valuable so racingwithaloha.com and if you want to talk story with me in maui my email address is fred at fredhaywood.com and it's fred haywood realty so we would enjoy anybody passing on the good comment or information or if you need help with language skills or something, feel free to email me and I'll help you as best I can with any situation you might have out there. Awesome. I'm a bucket of knowledge. <laughs> and I appreciate your time today for it, man. Thank you again so much as always, Hank 10. And uh, we'll definitely be talking soon, man. Mahalo and, and good luck to you with everything. And I appreciate being on the show. Aloha. Thanks. Aloha.